Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, as a population, we're starting to learn how our planet impacts us, and in particular, our health. Climate change affects the social and environmental determinants of health. Things like clean air, safe drinking water, sufficient food, and secure shelter are all vital to our survival. With increasing rates of pollution, we're seeing increased respiratory and cardiovascular disease, injuries and premature deaths from extreme weather events, changes in our food access, waterborne illness, and all their associated mental health issues that come with these challenges. Now put together, these contribute to the death of around 13 million people each year. When we look at our climate, we see that major floods have more than doubled. Severe storms have risen by 40%, and there have been major increases in drought, wildfires, and heat waves in the last 20 years, and they think that climate change has actually doubled in the last two decades. Now, when it comes to our health, we have some real challenges. There are infectious diseases like COVID-19, which came from animals, food safety challenges when we think about the wet markets around the world, and we're even seeing an increase in antimicrobial resistance, meaning that antibiotics can't do their job. All these examples provide increasing evidence that there's a human, plant, and animal, as well as environmental health connection in more ways than we could ever have imagined. We can now see that disruptions in one species or an ecosystem can reverberate throughout the rest of the system even half a world away. That's why today we're going to investigate a philosophy called One Health. And with us is an expert in the field, Dr. Kate Dewey. She's a professor and vice president academic at the University of Guelph and a driving force behind the One Health program at the university. Now she joined me to share more about One Health and what it means to us and the planet. Hi, Dr. Dewey. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited to have our chat today because it's something that you're really passionate about. It's something I'm learning about because our university is currently putting in a One Health policy. But tell me about yourself and your role at the University of Guelph. Sure. So I'm a faculty member in the Department of Population Medicine. That's one of the departments in the Ontario Veterinary College. And uh, for the last three years, I've been the director of the One Health Institute. And... The other role I play is is I'm the associate vice president academic, but we don't really need to know that for this part of this conversation. <laughs> you, you, you definitely wear a lot of hats. And that's great. And the One Health is a really interesting concept. It's sort of emerging and, and explaining a lot about how we interact with our world. What is One Health? Right. So I'm going to use my own definition of One Health for this conversation. So my understanding of One Health is it's a collaborative effort of multiple disciplines working together to obtain optimal health for people, animals, plants, and the environment. One Health is necessary to solve complex health problems, and importantly, it incorporates social determinants of health, and it includes the perspectives of people in the community in which you work. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I mean, increasingly, we're seeing that there's a relationship between us and the world and, and animals. If we think about the pandemic, and we'll talk about that. But how did One Health actually start? So it's a very old concept, actually. Mm -hmm. So I, I really think that back in the early 1960s, there was a veterinary epidemiologist. His name um, was Calvin Schwabe. And he wrote about what he called One Medicine. 
Um, he was working with the World Health Organization and he was working on a tapeworm that could infect people and dogs and other lives and, and livestock animals. And he, he thought that we should really understand health from the animal and human perspective because we're so intertwined. So he called that one medicine. Then in the 1990s, with the emergence of more zoonotic diseases, we'll talk about that later, that's when the term One Health really took off. Uh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. And, you know, so the One Health approach has been described as both comprehensive and integrated. Can you help our listeners understand what that really means? Yeah. So I think... For us to understand it, we need to understand that health problems are complex, and that's not confusing to us, I think. We think about things like um, chronic heart disease and obesity, homelessness, and certainly pandemics. Um, these problems can't be solved in a simple way. These are, are, are complex problems that we're living with and, and have been living with for a long time. If we think about that, then we need teams of people working across disciplines and working with communities to help find solutions. And I know that you're interested in exercise and exercise physiology. Mm. And you know, if, if we're gonna be healthy people, we need to involve people like you to understand how best we can keep take care of ourselves. The comprehensive piece means we have to identify all of the players whose voice is needed to come in and help us integrate that their knowledge building teams together to help find solutions and, and and one interesting example i think is climate change so we know climate change has changed how birds and animals and vectors like ticks have moved north from the united states and a good example is the black-legged tick it came north and has brought us lyme disease over time, we've measured the migration of the tick. We can watch how the tick is moving across our country. And when we go for a walk in the woods or, or across uh, grasslands, our dogs and, and, and we pick up ticks. And there's a research at the University of Guelph. Her name is Katie Clow, and she's established surveillance systems mm -hmm. to track tick migration. But she's also tracking veterinarians finding Lyme disease in dogs and then giving that information to public health units and local physicians so that they can start looking for Lyme disease in people. So that's a complex problem interacting with animals and the environment and people. And together we can help come up with solutions to that problem. Yeah, that's amazing. So the climate change is the match and the dog is the canary in the mine. <laughs> so oh, you're right. Right. Yeah, uh, and it's interesting. We have a place here in Newfoundland called Burgio, which is a beautiful marine park, but I'm going down this summer to work with some folks down there where they're measuring invasive species in the ocean because they're also changing. We're seeing more sharks up here. There's all sorts of different uh, sea creatures that are changing our aquaculture here as well. So it's, uh, yeah, I could see how that relates. Now, what are some of the factors that have changed the interactions between people, animals, plants, and our environment? We kind of alluded to the climate change aspect, but what are some of these other factors? So as we all know, our human population is increasing. And as it increases, we're encroaching on the areas where wildlife lives. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have a bigger population. We need more cropland. And so there's more deforestation. So as we do this, our lives 
are brought closer and closer to wildlife, or maybe wildlife is brought closer and closer to where we live. Mm -hmm. And of course, as you said, climate change has fundamentally changed the behavior of our animals. And a really good example in Newfoundland and Labrador is the polar bear. So as we know, we have melting sea ice, polar bears are hungry, they're not able to be out on the ice or they're needing to come onto the land, they're hungry. And they are actually uh, interacting with people coming into the villages where people live more than ever before. Mm-hmm. And, and another really good example, and it, and it has to do with um, the transmission of viruses into our populations, is country foods. And so I'm going to think, uh, I want us to think about the global south. So if we think about people who maybe live in African countries, you know, they, they would have eaten wildlife in the forests. Mm-hmm. So because of uh, poverty, but also because of opportunity for jobs in the cities, they've moved to cities for economic enhancement. They still are interested in eating country foods. Mm -hmm. So what we know happens is people who are living in in poverty um, close to the forest, they will um, kill uh, wildlife like monkeys, for example, or bats, they will bring them into the city and sell them in markets. And what we know is those are actually a source of new viruses that can be transmitted to, to people. And I'm just going to uh, tell you about a really interesting YouTube video that was um, put on the University of Ralph's One Health Seminar Series YouTube station. And it's by Dr. Emily Denstead, who is in Laos, and she talks about the importance of spillover of viruses from wildlife into uh, human populations, specifically because of the sale of country foods. Very interesting research she's doing. I'm here with Dr. Kate Dewey from the University of Guelph. She's sharing more about the One Health Initiative and how our health is linked to the health of the planet and the animals which we share our environment with. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Kate Dewey from the University of Guelph. She's sharing more about the One Health Initiative and how our health is linked to the health of the planet and animals which share our environment with us. Let's get back to the interview. We've heard about the wet market shutting down in China after after the pandemic outbreak. And you talked about uh, polar bears in Newfoundland. Ironically, again, I'm going up to Labrador. We're going to measure ice thickness because the thickness of the ice dictates whether or not people can go on their traditional hunting routes or whether they can get to their cottage. So even their mental health is affected by climate change in ways that we might not have ever really thought about. So I can, I can see how this is becoming clearer to a lot of people as we keep on talking. Now, what are some of the biggest health challenges that are facing our planet today? Well, I, I'll just mimic what you just said, and one of them is is mental health. Mm. Uh, mental health, because of climate change, as you mentioned, in the far north, people can no longer live the and, and express the cultural their cultural norms. They're they're hunting and fishing the way you, they used to be able to. Certainly, we know that the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, has increased mental health problems. Um, especially I would say in our young people. The biggest health challenge that of course everybody experienced is the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, and I am reflecting on the fact that how, how long we as Canadians waited for the vaccine. 
And, and we were so anxious to have the prevention that we could get from that vaccine. But if we look at countries, the African countries, only 20% of the people there have been able to access a vaccine. Mm -hmm. the first dose yes. and and where I, I did research in in um in africa east africa for many years and where i was researching there's there's no refrigeration there's no electricity there's um there's no access to hospitals and so you know for me thinking about how they can get prevention is 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 really really hard yeah. uh antimicrobial resistance so bacteria that used to be able to uh be killed off quite easily by antibiotics. Um, those are no longer effective. Um, big ones are ne neglected um, tropical diseases, things like malaria or epilepsy due to tapeworm. Um, diseases associated with social problems, um, poverty, malnutrition, a lack of hygiene and clean water. And, and the last I'm going to mention is wars and conflict and refugees. And of course, Canada is a really important country when it comes to bringing refugees into our country so we could go on and on but those are some. yeah no it's true i mean and that's what i think sometimes we forget living in such a we're so fortunate to live where we live that uh, a lot of the world's got challenges we see what's happening in ukraine right now for example there's gonna yes. be millions of refugees coming from there um that you know lived very normal lives before the last few weeks so um, you know, you did Absolutely. mention something that I think people have heard about, but might not fully understand from the news, and that is zoonotic diseases. Can you explain or define what they are for us? Right. Absolutely. So zoonotic diseases, probably the beginning of that One Health concept, is a disease that goes from animals to people. Sometimes it goes from people to animals. And the one disease that we often uh, talk about is rabies. And, and I, know, I know there's not much rabies in Newfoundland, but it's a really big problem around the world. Mm -hmm. And we would typically get it from a dog bite. And interestingly, people who live in apartments with cats and the cats don't ever go out of the apartment, but, but they can get rabies because a bat can come into their apartment and, and, and bite the cat. So, so that's important. Um, diarrheal diseases that we might get from foodborne, foodborne illnesses like salmonella or E. coli, certainly viruses like the coronavirus, which is what COVID is, but also influenza. Everybody knows about influenza. These are viruses that happily grow in animals and people. And so they go back and forth between people and animals. And I think that these diseases have been around for a long time. And we've been aware of them, but I think the coronavirus, the COVID virus has, has made us most aware of it. Huh. That's really interesting, though, because you said that even your cat or your dog could get rabies or something like that. If you have a pet, I'm a big advocate for pets. I love pets. Is there any implications for pet owners that they could catch something from their pet? Uh, absolutely. Really? Really? <laughs> so, and so, you know, cer certainly living where I do in, in Southern Ontario, rabies is a really big issue mm -hmm. and um and so it's really important that people vaccinate their their dogs and just two years ago we had an incursion of of rabies in in raccoons in ontario but our pets live in our homes <laughs> they, they live very intimately with us um you know for people who have children children crawl on the floor and the dogs and cats are walking around with with them oftentimes animals share our beds with us so i mean it, we do have this intimate relationship 
Now, what's wonderful about that is we know there's a direct relationship between owning dogs and cats and reducing blood pressure, helping with heart disease, encouraging us to go for walks, and there's mental health benefits of having animals. So, so I'm not wanting to paint a bad picture. I am a no. veterinarian, and I do own <laughs> dogs and cats, but they can spread their diseases to us. And so rabies is one example. Another is leptospirosis, Dogs uh, can pick that up by drinking water puddles that have been infected by wildlife. And then, and it can cause kidney disease in dogs, but more importantly, really it can spread to us and cause kidney disease in us. So we should vaccinate our dogs against leptospirosis. We should treat our animals, dogs and cats against roundworms because um, in particular children can pick those up. And if we feed our dogs raw dog food, it seems like, that would be a nice thing for our dog to eat. They probably like eating it, but we know it carries salmonella. Uh, and then they shed salmonella in their feces and we can pick that up. Mm-hmm. And one more thing I'm going to mention is, is if you go camping, you might pick up uh, Giardia. That's a disease that the beavers spread into, into lakes and rivers. If we get Giardia when we travel, so too can our dogs. So if they get a GI illness, we need to take them to the vet and, and get them treated as well. Is that is that beaver fever? That's beaver fever. <laughs> yeah, my dad used to spend a lot of time in the bush, uh, and he would always say, "Worry about beaver fever." So that's, <laughs> that's interesting. So you know, has the recent pandemic where people are actually recognizing this, and even movies like Outbreak, you know, which basically outlines exactly possibly how the pandemic could have occurred, has that increased the awareness or the importance of the One Health approach? Well, it certainly has increased the awareness. Oh my goodness. You know, I, I think it, we've, we've had pandemics for a long time, you know, years and years and years, 1913, you know, the, the, the Spanish flu. Um, but in, you know, in our life, in our lifetimes, we've experienced SARS that, that killed a lot of people, uh, Ebola, multiple episodes of Ebola, but none of them have Im- has impacted the world the way uh, COVID-19 has. So, I don't need to tell your listeners that it stopped the economy. It's impacted our day-to-day lives, probably impacted the way we work. What we think we know about this virus is it originated in an animal in China. Mm -hmm. Um, Some evidence that it may have come from bats or it might've come from pangolins. So interesting that we we really don't know. Hmm. This is a virus that we know mutates really easily. It can create lots of variances. And it's increased unknown in fear in, in our lives, it, you know, back to that, that mental health issue. Yeah. We know it can infect our cats and it certainly infects mink. It can go from people to cats and it can go from people to mink and it can mutate in mink and it can be found in other wildlife. So here's a disease that's impacted the world. And because of that, governments around the world and the World Health Organization and the World Animal Health Organization are sort of sitting up and paying attention Mm -hmm. and saying, we need teams of people working on this. We need to have definitions for One Health. There's a new definition that the World Health Organization has come up with for One Health, understanding the impact of environment and communities when we're thinking about one one health so yes i think uh, more people understand and certainly governments understand the importance of one health 
I'm here with Dr. Kate Dewey from the University of Guelph. She's sharing more about the One Health Initiative and how our health is linked to the health of the planet and the animals which we share our environment with. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Kate Dewey from the University of Guelph. She's sharing more about the One Health Initiative and how our health is linked to the health of the planet and animals which share our environment with us. Let's get back to the interview. So I'm an epidemiologist and no one knew what an epidemiologist was until the last two years. I'd always like put slides up and explain what is it, tell a couple stories. But you mentioned teams, like what would a team from like a One Health Initiative look like? Yeah, well, I'm an epidemiologist as well. There you go. So epidemiologists are key, obviously. Doctors and nurses are the obvious people. But what people often don't think about is the public health people. Mm -hmm. So not just public health uh, doctors, but the public health teams in our communities. And and I think that this pandemic has shown the importance of them. Um, obviously veterinarians, <laughs> you know, if we're, if we're involving animals and diseases going between people and animals, uh, veterinarians are important. You know, in, when you become a veterinarian, you spend hours and hours and hours in that four-year program learning about zoonotic diseases because it's mm-hmm. part of our responsibility to prevent diseases right. from going from our livestock and our, in our pets and wildlife into the human population. Nutritionists. Uh, human nutritionists and animal nutritionists, economists, social scientists, like philosophers, psychologists, anthropologists, people who understand human behavior and know how to effect change. Because so much of what we're talking about uh, is going to, uh, you know, in it, the very nature of these complex diseases, we have to change what it is that we do in order to make ourselves and our world healthier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about like the public health. I mean, they had to learn ways to engage with people in order to take that education and then make sure it's actually being done in the population. Newfoundland, for example, has one of the highest vaccination rates in the world, especially with our booster and everything. And, you know, it's allowed us to live relatively normal lives that in our geographic location, you know, being an island. Uh, through the pandemic. But, you know, that's one thing that we've all sort of rallied behind is our public health team. And uh, it's made a big difference for that. So, yeah, I think that people are starting to understand that the health world is not just doctors and nurses. There's a lot of other players that come into it, you know. um, So I read that the fundamentals of the One Health uh, have existed at uh, your university for some time. Like, how did that approach evolve with, with the University of Guelph specifically? Mm-hmm. So um, for decades, uh, researchers, researchers at the Ontario Veterinary College have studied the, the relationships between um, humans, animals, and the environment. And in back in 1985, we had a dean, his name is Dr. Ole Nielsen. He understood the importance of integrating this approach, including the environment. So, you know, we went from just animals and people to the whole ecosystem we live in. He and two other veterinary veterinarians, Dr. David Waltner Taves and Bruce Hunter, they started building transdisciplinary research teams. They included med schools in Western Ontario Mm -hmm. and McMaster, and and they brought in philosophers to try to understand uh, how people interact with one another. And they started building something called ecosystem approaches to health. So looking in this holistic manner that we've already been talking about. And 
primarily the research was done in the global south. Um, so, so interesting. These uh, the, the the one health research projects that been that have been done for decades. Many more of them have happened in the global south than in our very own country. Mm-hmm. And then in two thousand and two, um, the term one health emerged more broadly, and we started saying, well. The world doesn't understand the term ecosystem approaches to health. They haven't heard that. We use it at Guelph. We don't really use it elsewhere. But um, but the term One Health is broadly recognized. Why don't we then incorporate the environment and society into One Health and use the term One Health as others are doing? In the meantime, the government of the United States established One Health and One Health research and funding back in in the early 2000s. And so it it made most sense at the University of Guelph that we adopted the term that everybody else was using. Yeah, so when you say global self, just a quick question on that, does that mean how we relate uh, as a person outside of just where we live, but like to the rest of the world? Mm, I'm using that that term to describe developing countries. Ah, So countries where you could go um, for me, I worked in, um, in, in rural West Kenya, where people lived in poverty and they were smallholder pig farmers. And so they're living on, you know, half an acre and only ate what they could grow. Okay. And so you can, uh, and I was working on a disease causing epilepsy in people. So you can appreciate why when you're working in communities like that, um, that this one whole health approach is so important. You've got poverty and hunger and you've got a disease that's spreading, you know, it includes the pig in its life cycle and, and requires education of the community members. And so you can see how I'm going to almost say it's easy to do one health in, yes. in that kind of environment. And, and you can't solve that problem without one health. And, and we need to actually learn from that in Canada and say, well, if we're going to solve our complex problems, we need to start taking that ap- approach as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Here in Newfoundland, we've just reevaluated our entire medical system uh, through what's called the Health Accord NL. And uh, they've now determined that we need to have teams approach in rural communities because our population demographics have shifted so much from having big families with lots of kids to smaller families with an older population. And our hospital system was designed for the previous. And so, yeah, teams are becoming really important now. I mean, you obviously have been partnering with different groups to grow this program. Uh, Who are some of your partners? Um, So interestingly, you know, when we think about, we talked earlier about putting together teams of experts, Mm -hmm. um, who else needs to be involved? Well, Mm -hmm. community leaders need to be involved. Um, When we're doing a project in a community, we want to involve the community right from the beginning. So what does that mean? That means having focus groups, setting up community meetings, town halls, where people can come in and say, well, this is what the problem is that we have in our community. How are we going to solve that problem? And so I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Food insecurity, where we depend on food banks and poverty. And and, uh, in Guelph, we have a lot of homeless individuals. We have problems whereby we would like solutions, but but they're going to take complex teams and community engagement. We need the government 
We need to have our municipal governments, our provincial and our federal governments to play a role. And, and oftentimes NGOs, so non-governmental organizations or, or community partners, United Way is an example, to bring those partners in to say, let's team up to see how we can address these problems. So, you know, we, women health absolutely needs the community engagement, partly because we want to hear what the community wants. Right, right. So we want to find a solution that that it, that feels right to for the community, and we want the community to engage in the solution. And so, when you talk about um, this change in Newfoundland, that's it's that's very exciting mm-hmm. because we want we want the people to find something that will work for them. Mm-hmm. And what do they see as their problems, and how can we work together to help them? That's excellent. So, I mean, the One Health Institute must have a very clear mission statement. What is that? So the mission statement's pretty broad. Is it? Okay, so it's a big one. It is to enhance and promote, of course, we're a university, so to enhance and promote academic Mm -hmm. research and outreach programs to propel the university to the forefront of, of One Health Scholarship internationally. So we wish to be recognized internationally as a place of excellence in One Health Mm-hmm. Um, so that people can uh, come to us to put together, you know, teams to solve problems. And excitingly, last uh, last week we heard from Global Affairs Canada, who's looking to put together teams across Canada to work on one health programs in the global south. And you know, and, and, and Guelph was identified as as one of the partners. And so, you know, we're pretty excited about that. And I was very excited to uh, to hear from you about speaking to you. Uh, about One Health. So, you know, it, it's starting to work, I think. I'm here with Dr. Kate Dewey from the University of Guelph. She's sharing more about the One Health initiative and how our health is linked to the health of the planet and the animals which we share our environment with. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Kate Dewey from the University of Guelph. She's sharing more about the One Health Initiative and how our health is linked to the health of the planet and animals which share our environment with us. Let's get back to the interview. Have you embedded this into the university's teaching, their research, and all their outreach programs? Yep. So so one of the things that I wanted to do right off the bat was create academic programming in One Health. Mm. And so we have three academic programs so far. Uh, One of them is what we call a collaborative graduate program. So a graduate student, master's or PhD student, who is studying any one of 18 different disciplines, so maybe epidemiology or maybe history or or maybe anthropology, Mm -hmm. they can enroll in this collaborative One Health specialization. They have to be doing a research project that uses a One Health approach. Um, and, um, but then they take courses across, um, in One Health. So all the people from these different disciplines come together, take courses together to learn about the, uh, One Health approach and understand how to work in teams across disciplines. So that's what we're really trying to get people to learn to do. We also have uh, a veterinary program at the, um, at University of Guelph and students who graduate from the vet program who are interested in doing One Health um, as their career choice, they can take some One Health courses in the VET program and then enroll in a concurrent Master's of Public Health, which is a human health 
uh, program yeah. um, so that they're ready to work across uh, those disciplines. And, and then we have a Bachelor of One Health uh, program that I'd like to talk to you about a little bit later in more yeah. detail. But our research includes faculty from every single college. We have seven colleges. We're a comprehensive university. So we have uh, health, basic sciences, environment, computer sciences. And we're working uh, with local, federal, and international public health agencies. And we have research projects with uh, med schools, um, McMaster and Western as examples, uh, where we have research projects with them. And we're very involved in community-based or community-engaged research as well. Um, as far as the outreach, uh, we're active on Twitter and LinkedIn to try to sort of get our messages out. That's good. And excitingly, in May, we're hosting um, a symposium. So we have um, a symposium called One Health and Development for a World Under Pressure. Yeah. And, um, and it's a virtual symposium. So we, we have people from around the world who are keynote speakers and, and who are uh, coming to uh, present their, their research at that. So it's, it's open to anybody. Oh, that's so, excellent. So that's how we're kind of trying to get ourselves out there. That's very robust. I love the idea of people from all different disciplines, from immunology, epidemiology, philosophy, social, whatever, coming together, because I can see that'd be a really interesting dynamic of perspectives, which probably makes the program better over time, really. So one of the things you mentioned I wouldn't mind asking more about is the, the Bachelor of One Health. Uh, it's an undergraduate degree that you guys offer in this? That's right. Yes, uh, we are so excited about this. Um, it took took a couple of years to develop. We had faculty from multiple colleges come together to design this. And so, as everybody knows now, One Health requires people to work across multiple disciplines. So how can we train our One Health graduates to already know how to do that? It's likely the first of its kind in North America, the way I'm describing our program. So students come together and they will be focused on one of four areas of emphasis. I'll just tell you about those. The first is disease complexity in health. It's like a pre-med, pre-vet type program. The second one is culture, society, and health. And they're going to uh, focus on social determinants of health, like poverty and lack of education, systemic racism, those problems. Mm -hmm. The third is policy, economics in health. And this will prepare people for jobs in health policy. Mm -hmm. as an example. And then the last one, environment, food and health. So they will learn about climate change, how to um, evaluate uh, what we're doing to improve our environment and uh, how to best environmentally sustainably produce food. The key to this program is all students in the program are going to be taking courses in biological concepts of health, the human impact on the environment, anthropology and sociology. And every year the students will take one One Health course together. So they're gonna come from these different disciplines, solving cases together. And we believe once these graduates um, leave the universities, not only will they have a holistic understanding of health, but they're also going to know how to lead transdisciplinary teams and work in transdisciplinary teams something that I don't think I learned when I was a university student. No, it was very streamlined. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. They also, they also have an opportunity to, um, to do a co-op, to be in a co-op program, and they all have opportunities for experiential learning. So 
we're very, very excited about this program. And we have um, in the first year is in September, um, but we also we already have a lot of people who've applied for the program. So we're excited about that. That's excellent. I remember one time I did a medical anthropology course and it was teaching yeah. about shamanism and all these other things. And I was an athletic therapist at the time. And I found it so helpful because there are so many universal concepts when it comes to health that can be translated. So I can see how that could be extremely interesting course. You know, we're starting to wind down here, but uh, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with as they think about how important this impacts them as a person? So I guess what I hope that people will um, understand from listening to our discussion today is that, um, that, that we do have complex health problems in our world and examples, pandemics and foodborne illness and, and uh, hunger and homelessness, floods and droughts due to climate change. I don't really think one health is difficult to understand. I think if I, we if we asked anybody on the street, you know, about these complex health issues, they would say, yes, there's lots that it's impact, impacting them and us. Um, I think One Health is a way of looking at the whole picture to try to solve complex problems at this intersection of humans, animals, plants, and the environment. It's not an easy thing to do. One Health to actually implement the approach, but it very definitely requires all of us to work together with community members to find solutions. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping your listeners will say, I want to be one of those community members that will be part of the team to help yeah. find solutions to these complex problems. That's right. And you know what? There are some amazing stories around where people are developing technology for food security and people are doing environmental cleanup projects and all these little things that all add up to make huge results for people. Uh, Dr. Dewey, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation and thanks for sharing all your expertise with us. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's been lovely to share the One Health story with you. Thank you to Dr. Dewey for joining me today. We learned today that One Health is an important approach that recognizes that the health of people is closely connected to the health of animals and our shared environment. One Health is not a new concept, but it has become more important in recent years. That's because many factors have changed the interactions between people, animals, plants, and our environment. Human populations are growing and expanding into new geographic areas, encroaching on animals' natural habitats. And animals play an important role in our lives, whether it be for food or fiber or livelihoods or travel, sport, education, or even companionship. The earth is experiencing changes in its climate and land use, such as deforestation and intense farming practices. And we've all seen with this pandemic that the movement of people can spread zoonotic diseases across the globe. Well, I hope this sparks the interest in you to take action to reduce our impact on the world, whether that be through environmental activities, consuming less, or reducing waste. There is no option two when it comes to our planet for us yet, so let's keep mindful of the balance we need to maintain with nature. Well, that's our show this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.